Good morning and welcome here to Rooted's on this, uh, what is a beautiful spring morning. You can't quite see it because we've got our, our, our lighting system going here. Um, but it is a beautiful morning. I believe yesterday was spring day, right? That's still officially the first of September is spring day and it seems like spring has arrived. Um, I hope you had a great day. Um, I remember when I was in the Cape, I used to, I was part of a group that we celebrated with a spring swim. Does that tradition hold anywhere else? No, it's, it's crazy, right? But it was always icy cold. Uh, it was a terrible start to spring. Um, if I've met you yet, I'm Stephen or Mr. Bobo. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I'm a bit worried that you guys have lost the plot with that kind of a welcome to the, to the past. <laughs> I'll be honest, there's, there's some concerns there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so I'm Stephen and I, I have the privilege today of sharing from God's Word. Uh, we're busy with a series in Psalm 119 entitled Desire for the Word of God. Uh, the Psalm's whole theme is, is around desiring the Word of God. Um, we started the series earlier in the year. We did four messages on it. Then we took a break and did a, a sermon series on the church. And as of last week, we're back in Psalm 119. Um, so perhaps just to recap a bit, like what do we know about the Psalm? What have we seen so far? Okay, the first thing that I'm sure you're all well aware of it is it is a long psalm. Okay, that's that's a big thing. It is long. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, 176 verses altogether. Uh, there's a story which uh, illustrates the length of the psalm. Um, I'm not sure if it's true, but it's told as if it's true, so it might it may be true. I don't know if you've heard it, but apparently in the 1600s there was a guy called George Wishart, who was a bishop. Um, I don't know exactly what he did, but somehow he found himself sentenced to death. And he was going to be hanged. Sorry for the macabre uh, story so early on. Um, but he was going to be hanged. And the custom at the time was that the condemned man could choose a psalm to be read before he would be, uh, before he would be hanged. And some of you can see where this is going. Uh, George Wishart was a shrewd any news Bible. So that's a great combination to have, um, to be both shrewd and to know your Bible. And so he chose Psalm 119. Um, which at the very least would extend his life by a significant period of time. Um, but as the story goes, about two-thirds of the way through the reading of Psalm 119, a messenger arrived carrying a pardon from the king. Uh, and so he was pardoned and he was, he was saved, his life was spared, thanks to the length of Psalm 119. <laughs> that is the story that is, is told. Um, I think it illustrates both the length of Psalm 119 and its life-changing potential. <laughs> All right. So uh, what else have we seen in the psalm? We've seen it has this recurring theme of desire for the Word of God. Um, some of you, you know, my silly group, and I did warn them, I used them as bad examples today. Uh, some of them think it's boring because it's the same thing over and over. Um, I'd like to push back a bit against that, against that narrative today. I'd say it's variations on a theme. There's definitely variety. There's a lot of variety. It's a very rich psalm, but I feel like you have to spend a bit of time in it to sort of see the gold that is in there. If you read it quickly, you're like, oh, this is still telling me God's word is awesome. But if you spend more time in it, then you get a much more textured um, appreciation of God's word and all its richness and, and all the ways in which it, it affects our lives. Um, so yeah, God's, God's word is a, is a recurring theme. Another thing you know about this psalm is it has a very specific uh, structure, very specific poetic structure, uh, which is called an acrostic uh, poem. It's an acrostic poem. What that means is that it takes the Hebrew alphabet, um, and each stanza, there are 22 stanzas in the psalm, 
Um, and that relates to the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So it starts with the first letter and it has eight verses on the, on the first letter. Each verse in that first stanza starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, then it moves to the second letter of the alphabet, moves to the third letter. Um, this is not unique to the Bible. Um, it, it happens, this kind of acrostic poetry it happens elsewhere in the Bible, but it, we do it all the time. We do similar things in, in songs, famous songs, and rap, and things like this. Um, we do tricks, I think it's to help memory. I think that's one of the main purposes, and why it's worth just noting is that I think um, it's a tool to help us remember. Obviously, we lose that um, because we don't read it in Hebrew. But it's worth knowing that that's part of the purpose of the psalm, uh, that it's, it's, it's designed to kind of get us in it. It's, it's got a different purpose. Um, if the students will know, for example, if, you, if you're studying for a test and you're trying to cram like a list of 10 things, uh, you come up with a sentence right, to help you remember those things where each letter of each word is, corresponds to something in the list that you have to memorize, and then it's much easier. Uh, another example is I, I play guitar. I see a few hands there, thank you. Um, <coughs> do appreciate that. Um, I, uh, I play guitar and I always forget which string comes with, which are the six strings in the guitar, right? Which is the E and the G and the B, etc. And there's a trick that we have. There's a sentence. The sentence goes, Eddie, uh, some people know it, Christina. There you go. Eddie ate dynamite, goodbye, Eddie. Okay. 88 dynamite, goodbye, 80, and that helps you remember the top string is E, then it's A for 8, um, then it's D for dynamite, then it's G, the G string, the B string, and the E string. So it helps you remember very easily the order of the strings on a guitar. So we do these tricks all the time. Um, a lot of songs have them. You start with one, the root of two, etc. Um, there's a recurring theme, there's an acrostic poem, and I, and I mention that because even though we can't see it in the Hebrew, we're not going to experience it. It, it tells us something of the purpose of the psalm, um, that it's a devotional tool, it's a meditative tool that God has, has given uh, to us to help us internalize it. It's something we're supposed to sit with and internalize um, rather than just something we go to to update our knowledge. Um, I think um, it, is, it is kind of like drawing us into a spiritual exercise. Um, and uh, for those of you who know exercise, you'll know that it's, it's important to do the exercise, not just to know what exercises to do. So at this point, uh, I'd like to ask Valentine to come up and just show us a star jump. Um, where's Valentine today? Has he run away? He hasn't run away. I thought he'd run away. <laughs> so I want, I want Valentine, we talk about exercise and physical exercise. It's important to know how to do things. So if you could just do one or two star jumps quickly for us. Um, you want to do it up on stage? Great. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So that was great. How many of you can already feel fitter? Right? Okay, not too many. Okay, the, the point is, yes, it's important to know how to do a star jump, but if you're going to get fit, you're going to have to do it over and over and over. You have to do many reps. Uh, and it's the same in going through Psalm 119, is that as you go over it, if you're looking for a quick sort of update of insight, you might be doing it wrong. Like, we need to get into this as a spiritual exercise, as we, as we meditate on the Word and we allow our heart to be transformed um, and to start to desire God's Word. The psalm is about desiring God's Word, and I think as you go through it, that desire is intended to grow in your heart as you appreciate and really agree with God's Word. I also want to say that I think this is the heart of the Christian life. This, this spiritual exercise 
is central to the battle for changing what, for getting what you know in your head to sink in in your heart. For me, that's that's always the, the gap that needs to to narrow in my Christian walk. Whenever I, I find myself agonizing over my life, um, over my sin, wondering how am I going to change, um, it always comes back to this idea that I know that I need to take the, the truths I know at a head level and I need to get them to where I really believe them in my heart. Because if I really believe it in my heart, I'm going to obey God. All right? And the disobedience is always rooted in some kind of unbelief. Where you may know that Jesus satisfies more than X, Y, Z, but do you really believe it? And the question is, how do you get there? How, how do you do it? That's always what I'm ending up. Like, how am I going to get that to really believe it? And I think Psalm 119 is one tool to help us do that. As we meditate, not only on the psalm, but on, on other parts of Scripture, um, I think that truth sinks in. Start as we, as we speak it, as we engage it, we are, we are changed from the inside out. Uh, and so, whilst today and, and during the sermon series we're going to hear about it from up front, I really want to encourage you to go away and spend time in the psalm, meditating on it, allowing it to do that which it is designed to do in your heart. Um, I've done a bit of this in the last few weeks, um, partly as I prepped for this, but I just I, I realized that I think this is the purpose of Psalm 119, that it's not to lay out an argument, nor is it telling a story where one thing leads to the next. Um, and so I realized I need to spend some time in the psalm, meditating on it, and see the effect that it has on me. Uh, and I, and I, could see, I could see myself uh, growing in desire for the Word of God, growing in, in understanding His ways and appreciating His ways. Um, so go away and do that. But let's uh, move to today's section. We're going to read it together. Um, before we read, I want us to know just the, the, the title for today's message, which is just one way of kind of drawing a, a theme through the verses we're going to read today. We're going to see how we love God's Word, how we speak God's Word, and how we walk in the Word. And we're going to see a kind of a link between the between those three. So loving, speaking, and walking in the Word. I want you to look out for that as we read together. So turn with me then to Psalm 119, verses 41 to 48. And perhaps your Bible, some Bibles have a heading of with the Hebrew letter there of war. Okay, we're going to read verse 41 to 48. <clears throat> Alright. It says, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law, forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and will not be put to shame. I delight in your commands, because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love that I may meditate on your decrees. Let's just pray and ask God to help us to understand this. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that as we open it up, Lord, we would, you would open our hearts Lord, to see wonderful things in your word. I pray that we would um, really get to a place of agreement with your word, Father, in our hearts. That we would, uh, we would grasp what you're saying to us, Lord, and that it would lead to change lives, Father. Would you change us, Father, today, and would you change us as we go away, and we reflect on your word, and we meditate on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first couple of verses in this section, verse 41 and 42, I think give us just a bit of a sense of the context facing the psalmist. 
So we don't know a lot about who wrote the psalm. There's a theory that it's David, but I don't think it's clear who wrote the psalm. Uh, we don't know exactly what was going on in their life at the time of writing. But um, if you look at verse 41 and 42, as well as some of the other verses in the psalm, it would appear that either at the time of writing or something which happened often in the psalmist's life, that he was confined himself in a situation where he was very well aware of, of his need for God to step in, for God to save him and rescue him. And not only so, but it seemed like there were other people who were looking at him and who were kind of mocking and uh, taunting is the word that is used here, taunting him, perhaps saying things like, where is your God now? Is he really going to save you? So that's just something perhaps of the context. And as we've seen elsewhere in the psalm, in those situations, the psalmist always turns and puts his trust in God in God's word. And so here we see him putting his trust in God's character. His character is spoken about in verse 41 as God's unfailing love and the salvation that God has promised. Unfailing love and salvation. So the psalmist is trusting. He's choosing to ignore what other people may be saying. And he's trusting, not in his circumstances, but in God's unfailing love. He trusts that God will act as well. He will bring salvation. He will act, and he acts to save us personally. There's a sense when he says, may your unfailing love come to me, your salvation according to your promise, that it's personal. He has a specific situation, and he knows that God doesn't just love from afar, but he steps in into our personal spaces to save us. Um, I believe from the Hebrew scholars uh, that the words used here for salvation and love are almost synonymous. They're sort of getting at the same thing. And so maybe one, one can say that God loves us by saving us, that, that his love is a saving love. Again, that he doesn't just sit and look at us with feelings of affection or sympathy, but he steps in and he saves us. That's what he does because he loves us. Um, and I think it applies in, in personal, specific situations in life. God cares about the detail of our lives, our, our struggles, the things that keep us up at night. He cares about those things and we can bring them to God and we can trust in his promises as the psalmist does here. But also we know at a very high level that God has saved us in his love for us. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in Romans that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us and he steps in to save us. John 3.16 is another well-known verse um, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. So so God, we see it as a recurring theme in the Bible. God loves us, and in His love, steps in to save us. Um, and so we, like the like the psalmist, can put our trust in God's promise. And it's interesting that uh, the basis for the psalmist's trust in God's character, God's unfailing love and salvation, is God's word. It is what God has promised. He knows that God's word is reliable um, and can be trusted. Um, it's a good example of a, of a way to pray. Like if God has said things, if He's made promises, we can pray in line with those things. Um, it may seem like blackmail. I'm not talking about blackmailing God. Like God, you've said this, um, therefore not do it. It's not, you know, I think the hard attitude is more one of, of if we're praying in line with things God has promised and said, we can have an assurance of faith. We can pray with more faith and be sure that what we're praying for is a good thing to be praying for. So we should use God's word to inform our prayer, as, as the psalmist does here. <clears throat> and so I want us to now focus on, on the first of, of these three themes, is loving God's word, the internal uh, reaction to God's word, the internal delight in God's word. Um, so, so look at the, at the, wor- the words that, that communicate our internal attitude towards, towards God's word. It's trust in his word. 
My hope is in the Lord. I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands. I think that's again an internal kind of reaching out and wanting to know God's commands, because, which I love, and then meditate on his decrees. So all these words, all these internal words, I'm sure you'll agree with me, go a lot further than just knowing God's word. Right? It's one thing to know what God's word says, but it's another thing to love God's word. It's another thing to trust God's word. Um, it's another thing to delight in God's word. And that's where we need to get. That's where Psalm 119 is taking our hearts. Um, and I think as we go over, as we read it, and as we pray ourselves, we start to be conformed, and our hearts start to have that kind of attitude towards God's, God's Word. Again, this is what I spoke about, this gap between the head and the heart. Um, we need to get the things we know to a point in our heart that we agree with them, we love them, we, we, we fully trust in them, because then we're going to live it out. If we really get it, um, we're going to live it out. Um, we need to get... For me, this idea of, of, of understanding God's word is it's an under, you can understand someone's argument and not agree with it, right? But this kind of understanding of God's word is like an agreeing with God's word. It's like, I, I get where you're coming from. I see your ways, and I can see that they're good. They're the best ways. Um, it's that kind of an agreement um, and a love of God's commands, which, which uh, this psalm is, is taking us to. And again, I think that by meditating on it, that can be like the, medita- the meditative tool to help us get it from our heads to our hearts. <clears throat> Another thing you may want to do um, as, as you go away, or even as you sit here now, is to, to look at the things where, that we trust in. So here's like, I trust in your word, I hope in your laws, I delight in your commands, etc. And to ask ourselves, what are the things that we typically trust in, hope in, delight in, love reach out for, meditate on? What are the things which we think about in our in our spare time? When we've got nothing else to fill our mind. Where is our hearts wonder? What are the things we long for and want? Uh, it's a good question to ask and maybe then to prayerfully respond and, and actively lay those things down before God and replace them with His Word, with, with all the things we see in this song. So that could be something to do as a meditation as you need today. Just talking about love for God's Word, I just want to make one kind of caveat. One thing I'm not doing here is taking God's word and sort of elevating it above God Himself. Okay, there's no, there's no way you can separate loving God and loving His word. Um, you know that if you love anybody in your life, you care about what they say and what they think, um, and you don't care about the words themselves just because they're great words, it's because you care about the person behind those words. Um, if your baby has, if, if you have a baby and, and they speak their first words, you want to hear those words. They may not be the most amazing words, but you want to hear it because you love your child, right? So <clears throat> I just want to uh, point out that that loving loving God and loving His Word, it, it's, it's, it's inevitable in a relationship with God, all right? And, and this psalm is highly relational. It's intensely intimate and personal. There's a lot of I and you. Just look through almost every line has I and you in it far more than in most other parts of, of Scripture. It's a very intimate and personal relationship with God that is being cultivated here as the psalmist is meditating on God's Word. Okay, so, so definitely, love for God's Word is part and parcel of love for God Himself. And the second theme that I want to just lift out of, of this section, um, having looked at that, we need to internally love God's Word. We now see that's where, where we speak God's Word. You can see there, then I can answer. Verse 43, meditate the word of truth from my mouth. 
Exodus 46, I will speak of your statutes before kings. <clears throat> and so I want to talk about just two ways in which we see God's word. Um, the one way is kind of for ourselves, um, as we as we encourage ourselves and declare God's word. Uh, and the other way is more speaking to others, like sharing uh, about God, sharing the gospel, maybe standing up for what is right. <clears throat> and so on the first one, maybe it's worth asking ourselves, it says here, you know, Never take your word of truth from my mouth. That's the psalmist's prayer. And the question to ask is, when is God's word not on the tip of our tongues? When, when are we not overflowing with wanting to speak about God or wanting to praise Him? Um, and I think it's it's when our hearts are over like this. Internally, uh, we haven't got the loving God's word, we haven't got the, that internal side right, um, it's not going to overflow. So we need to get the first thing right. Loving God's word will lead to speaking God's word. But also it goes both ways. I think sometimes God's word is not on the tip of our tongue, but as we start to declare it, there's a power in that, in that we start to believe it as well. And again, I think Psalm 119, as you as you read through it and as you pray it for yourself, rather than just reading to see what it says, but actually praying it yourself, um, hopefully there's that, that journey that you take your heart on through actually speaking it as well. So there's definitely power in kind of preaching to yourself sometimes when you're not necessarily feeling it. Um, so there's power in that. But then the psalm also speaks about speaking in front of other people, speaking in front of kings um, of God's statutes. So in our lives, we may not speak in front of kings, but <clears throat> maybe you can think of who are the influential people or, or the, the places where we really care about. What, it, what are people going to think about, you know? Um, where are those places where perhaps God's wisdom is going to be in conflict with the wisdom of the world? And you're going to see backwards. Uh, if, you, if you say certain things, so so thinking of those things, um, you know, you're speaking about being, being being willing to speak about your approach to things like how you spend your money, um, what you devote your time to, how you approach your career, your career ambitions, uh, your understanding of things like marriage and family, perhaps who you choose to spend your time with and regard as your family in Christ. These are things which, in some contexts, we may be ridiculed for, people may push back, um, and so. We were encouraged that if we, I think, if we really love God's word, if we really believe, if we really delight in it, we will want to share it. We'll feel bold enough to share it. With, internally, we haven't got that love part right. I think it's not gonna, it's not gonna flow over. We'll probably hold back in those situations. <coughs> also, want to make a caution about speaking God's word to other people. I just want to say, um, kind of, don't be that guy who is always like telling other people that God says this or God this is that or. So please don't ask me you know, there's a, you know those guys who always, it's not really loving, it's not really teaching somebody or sharing the gospel where they're at. Um, and I, I guess the question to always ask yourself in those situations is to check your heart. Like, are you trying to justify yourself? Are you trying to win an argument? Are you trying to impress other Christians about how bold you are in a situation that you're willing to stand up and, you know, take one for the team? Um, check your heart. But there is a place for it. There is a place for standing up for what is right, for standing up for God's ways, um, for what is consistent with His Word. Oh, we're now on walking in the Word. So we see Him again. We love the Word that leads to speaking the Word and it also leads to a life of action. It doesn't stop internally, it leads to walking in God's Word. Verse 44. <coughs> Maybe it's, maybe it's anything that's right in the middle. So the sort of loving God's word was on the outside, and then 
And the next was, was the speaking, and right in the middle is the walking and the living God's word. Um, it's kind of like the pinnacle in this section. Uh, verse 44 is quite hectic, guys. I will always obey your law forever and ever. So let me tell you, I read that first. Um, for me, I was like, oh, I can't I can't really pray that because I know I'm not going to do that. Like I know later today, tomorrow, next year, I'm going to fail. I'm not always going to obey God's law forever and ever, right? So it felt like, how can I really pray that? Um, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe I should be, I should be thinking of Jesus here at this point and recognizing that only he can really say those words truly. Uh, and then being grateful that, that Jesus, and you know, he died so that his righteousness can be transferred to me in exchange for my unrighteousness. And that's all true. But I think that's kind of missing the point of, of Psalm 119. It's, it's, this, this for me, I came to realize that I think it's more just an, just an expression of delight in God's word. It's when, when you love God's word so much and you can see how much it makes sense that you just want to obey it. Like that's where we want to get to. That, that's where I pray my heart will get to that. There will be a sense in which I want to just say, Lord, I want to obey you, Lord, forever and ever. I want to do it. We make those kinds of bold claims in, in love songs and love poetry. No one, no one pushes back and says, no, but like, you know, you're saying this on your wedding day, saying I'm going to love you forever, but in three years' time, in three years' time, you're going to, you know, forget to take out the trash. Or No one, no, no one says that, right? So it's, it's, it's kind of understood that it's, it's an expression of love and devotion to God. It's an intention and a commitment to live for God, to live your whole life for Him. In, in this, so, so for me, this verse was then useful, because it was a way of trying to lead my heart to a place of trust and agreement with God's word, um, which leads to a commitment to obey God's word, which is opposed to the opposite, which is what we often have, which is a skepticism about God's rules. And that skepticism leads to disobedience. So, <clears throat> for me, usually we think of God's rules as things that restrict and inhibit us and skeptical. This is really what's best for me. Um, and so we need to get to this place where we agree with God's ways, we know they're based, and therefore we decide, make a commitment here to continuously obey God's law for the long haul. Right? And that, that's what the Christian life is about. You make a commitment to follow Jesus to the end. And so there's a sense in which we can pray and say to God, Lord, I want to always, I will always obey your law. I'm going to follow you to the end. Verse 45 is also an amazing verse. It says, I will walk about in freedom. So this obedience is, is, is about this is about the joy and the freedom of obedience. Um, another translation of that walking about in freedom, which is I think more of a literal translation, is I will walk in a wide place. And for me that's a beautiful image. Perhaps you can think for a moment in your in your minds about what would that wide place look like. And I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a massive valley. Um, mountains high on either side, and a wide plain just running through the earth. Freedom. That's an image of, for me, and maybe for you, it's slightly different, but that for me will be an image of the freedom that comes from obedience that the psalmist is bringing up here. Um, usually, again, we think of rules as restrictive, but that's not the case, not only with God, but just in life. Rules are often there to give us freedom. Think of the rules of the road. Um, Thank God that we have a rule that like you drive on one side of the road. Um, that allows us to drive at 120 k's or more in some, in some cases. But, but that allows us. You wouldn't do that. If every time you came up across another car, you had to stop and be like, 
I'll go this way, go that way. You wouldn't get from A to B nearly as fast, you wouldn't drive with the same freedom that you can because of a rule that gives you the parameters within which to operate freely. And it's the same with, with God's word. Like when we have to come to this realization that God, God's rules are not about restricting us. Right? I mean, that's what the devil tried to tell Adam and Eve, that like God, God is actually trying to withhold something from you. Um, and that, that, I think, is often what we suspect in certain areas of our life. Perhaps if we, if we were to think of the areas of our life which, which are not quite in line with what God says, maybe there's that suspicion lurking there that God just doesn't get it. He doesn't quite know what I'm going through and what my needs are. And we need to change our hearts to a place where we fully agree that God's ways here are best for us and for our flourishing. Jesus says, my commands are not burdensome. And on the contrary, it is sin that entangles us. The Bible says sin entangles. Sin is the thing that, that traps us and, and creates pain and a complete lack of freedom. Alright. <clears throat> sin is the thing that steals, kills, and destroys. We've got to believe that and we've got to turn from those things and wholeheartedly embrace God's ways, God's rules, God's word. I want to make three applications as we move to a close. The first application is go away and do your star jumps. Okay. Go away and do it. Like use Psalm 119. I don't think it should stop today with an interesting set of reflections and thoughts from up front. I think go away and, and meditate on it. Um, meditate on the rest of scripture in a similar way. Like learn to read scripture, not just to update what you know, but read it with a response as you do. Like actively decide to obey it, turn back into a prayer to God, turn into a relationship with the Lord. So that's the first thing. Go away, do your star jumps, um, and hopefully you'll come to see some of what I'm talking about happening in your life. The second thing is I want to talk about discipleship. So yes, it's good to go away and do this on your own, but often we need each other to remind us of God's word and to apply God's word to our life. So if we're going to walk according to God's word, our life is going to reflect God's word. Discipleship is about doing that. It's not just about Bible study. It's about saying, how does the gospel apply to this thing in your life, to that thing in your life, um, and help and having people around you to help you do that. Um, at Rooted, we, we say it all the time, it's one of the three things we're, we're disciple-making. So we want to create spaces for people to, to meet up in, in small groups of two or three or four um, and allow each other into their lives and apply the gospel to our lives. If you're not part of something like that and would like to, uh, please come and speak to anyone, speak to myself, someone at the, at the death, Mbundo, whoever you'd like to. If you're in a city group already and not part of one, maybe chat to the, the, the leader in the group. Think, talk about how you can set something up to do that on a more regular basis. But I would encourage you to, to uh, do the salvation as a way to take God's word and to, and to get other people to help you live it out. And then the third application is for what we're going to do today, and that is to pray. Um, so Mpunda mentioned it earlier that there's going to be prayer partners up front. Um, I'd like to invite you again to take advantage of that opportunity to come and pray with someone, maybe to pray with someone next to you uh, or someone you know and trust. And I want you to, to reflect as you, as, you, as you pray, maybe during the final prayer, during the, during the final song, to reflect on like what are the areas of your life where there's currently not that freedom, where there's that entanglement, the entrapment of sin. Where are the areas of your life where you don't fully embrace God's word about that issue? Where you don't fully trust his motives, where you're not fully convinced that he's a good, good father and is willing to provide for that area. 
what is the thing that maybe today I just need to relinquish to God and just give up to Him? Um, and then I want you to take it a bit further as you pray and, and actually replace those lies with truth. So to say some of these things to God, to say, Lord, I, I agree that your ways are best. I will, I will take the light in what you command in this area. I want to obey you forever and ever. So to make that commitment in response, uh, and perhaps to do that with someone else, to mark that time by, by getting someone to pray with you uh, today. So it's something we can always do. It's something that's always a good activity to do. But I want to encourage you today to just take a moment um, as, we, as we close off now, um, and as we have the opportunity to have someone pray with you afterwards, to just pray along those lines. Just what is that area of your life? Perhaps that one thing that, that really bugs you and actually know doesn't fully really conform to God's ways. Um, where can you repent of things you've learned correctly about God? Um, where can you choose to trust Him more? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for thank you for giving us um, so much variety in your word, Lord, that we have a psalm like Psalm 119, Lord, which, which gets us into over and over just delighting in what you said growing in an appreciation for, for your ways, Father. And I pray today that uh, we would go away, Father, and read your word uh, in a new way, Father. We would, um, we would choose that our hearts would respond with obedience, Father. We would not just know what you say, but that we would uh, choose to love what you say and to go away and live what you say. Please, Lord, as we reflect now on areas of our lives that do not yet conform to your ways, Father, that you would lift things into our mind, Lord, that you would bring, bring those areas to mind, that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to surrender, Father, that you would lead us uh, by your Spirit as we pray, as we repent, as we choose to trust you more in every area of our life. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are more than enough for us, Lord, and your Word covers all of our lives. May you have access to it bit of our life. Lord, may there not be any peace that is withheld from you. Perfect peace. We do that within our hearts now. Let's do this.